Welcome to Lakeville. I'm producer Eric Sagan. Support for Lakeville comes from two places. Sponsors we genuinely love and people just like you. If you'd like to help us keep the lights on in Lakeville, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. The second wave of support comes from our sponsors, places and products we sincerely, truly love. The first is Elsa's. In the 90s, a Scandinavian woman took a cab from Toronto to Montreal and opened a bar in the Plateau Montréal. The rest is history. Perhaps the best place in Montreal, if not the world, to have a lively conversation, a good drink, and some great food, Elsa's wants you to enjoy each other. Also sponsoring the podcast is Wiggle Room. Being that it's the city's most vibrant burlesque venue, a night at Wiggle Room feels like a trip back in time to Montreal's rebellious youth. Right across from Schwartz's and other Montreal landmarks, the Wiggle Room promises to entertain on the coldest winter night and the longest summer evening alike. Finally, we receive support from Good Mix, a hearty breakfast mix that really, really cares about your gut health. It keeps you full and makes your body happy. What more could you want in a meal to start your day? You can find links to our sponsors at our website, www.likevillepodcast.com. Without further ado, here's our host, John Faithful Hamer, introducing today's episode. All right. Welcome to the Likeville Podcast. This is John Faithful Hamer. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking with Dominique Laroche, who's a hypnotherapist who operates in Montreal and in the Eastern Townships and by Skype anywhere, I guess. <laughs> We're going to be talking about all sorts of stuff. Welcome, Dominique. Thank you. Great. So I, the question I get every time, we, uh, the two of, uh, two of us met through our mutual friend, Albert Nuremberg, who I've known since I was a little kid. And Albert has come to John Abbott College, where I teach uh, often, and has come into the classroom and hypnotized students and, and all this stuff. And the, the question that I get every single semester about this from students is, why does hypnotism work? Well, hypnosis in, is a natural state of mind. It's a natural state. Uh, we go into an hypnotic trance before falling asleep at night, just before waking up, and many times during the day. It's just that we don't know it's hypnosis. Um, it's a special frequency. Some people call it the zone where everything kind of becomes, um, we become hyper-focused. This is hypnosis. And Okay, when people have, I mean, this is a common nightmare yes. that people have where they wake up yeah. and something really bad is happening in their dream, but they're completely frozen. Is that hypnosis? What is that? When you well, when you sleep, there's a mechanism in your brain that um, kind of freezes your muscles so that you don't dream that you're being uh, pursued and um, that you start running everywhere. So it's a kind of a protection. And when you are in hypnosis, yes, you you. Don't feel your muscles, and you have cataleptic um, body parts. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So it's very similar to the 
early stage of your dream. Okay. And so is, it works because it's it's a natural state. I mean, but that makes sense because if you think about like every every single state of consciousness that you get from like acid or mushrooms or <laughs> or weed or or anything, every or, or or any kind of religious practice, every state of consciousness that you get is basically the the chemical is just flicking on switches in your brain that already exist, right? So hypnosis is you're saying it's it's already flipping something that exists already. Yeah, and okay. some people think that um, it's a state in which the the, the baby the, at uh, the fetus stage uh, in the womb of the woman, uh, the baby is in a REM state, maybe. And it's a state when the brain is being programmed. And it is said that this programming stage lasts the first seven years of the life of a kid. And so we program our brain, but those programs are like softwares and they're made to be changed because you cannot reprogram something that doesn't exist. You mm -hmm. need first to have a software in your brain and then you can change it. The problem is that we don't. We stay stuck with the early program when we are born and we encounter the first experience uh, of a child. And this oftentimes creates um, blockages and it alters the perception we have of reality. So now this is why hypnosis is so interesting as a, a tool. It allows us to revisit this part of our brain in the subconscious mind where the programming took place. And it allows us to redo the software, reprogram our brain. Hmm. Because the reality of an adult is totally different. The way we perceive the reality when we were a six-year-old afraid kid with not a lot of knowledge of ourselves and adult world, well, we don't want to carry that perception until we're 30, 40, 60 years old. But that's what's happening. Well, I find it's, for me, I find it's very, it's quite variable. So... If, like, on a typical day, like today, you know, I get up in the morning at 5.15 in the morning and I take a shower and I have breakfast with my wife and we have talk over coffee and then I go to work and I teach classes and I do different things. Um, in, in my regular day-to-day -day consciousness, I'm, like, a 44-year-old man that lives in Montreal. For me, like, what you're talking about where I default to this, like, early programming is – if I'm, like, really, really stressed out, like, if I'm really, if I'm in, like, I don't know, in an argument with my wife, or if I'm in, or if, like, somebody I know has just died, or, like, committed suicide, or is, like, in the hospital, or I remember um, when my, my son, Indy, when he was very young, he just dropped once. We were walking home from the daycare, and he was, like, in a s snowsuit, and we were on, on like, a... Prince Arthur, and like 
he just dropped in the middle of the street and started like like like, like having a seizure. A seizure. Yeah. yeah. And I I just I went into a kind of autopilot where I defaulted to mm-hmm. like what you're talking about, like like early programming. Like and I just immediately You were in fight or flight. So yeah. Like, and and like yeah. I immediately like I didn't call the, the logical thing for a parent to do in that situation is to call 911. Mm-hmm. I didn't call 911. Mm-hmm. I first called my Uncle Nigel because I defaulted to something horrible has happened. I'm very scared. Yeah. My, like, infant son is, like, I think dying. Mm-hmm. And this is the person I trust, like, very much in this situation. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what's happening? Uh, and he goes, oh, he, this is typical of my uncle. Like, he's like, well, it's probably a febrile seizure. It just happens to little kids. Their brain isn't totally developed. And so when they get a fever, they can get a seizure. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, Wow. And like, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make sure. And so then I, like, I got off the phone. Then I called 911, right? So, and, um, and they came and they said, like, exactly what he said. Like, but in that state, I was like, I remember thinking about it afterwards. And I'm like, that was a really irresponsible thing to do. I should have called 911 first. Mm-hmm. But I defaulted to this panicky moment. So I guess what I'm saying is, like, I don't exist in that unless I'm really upset or really scared or really angry. I'm not in that kind of primal state you're talking about. So most of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what what does hypnosis do? I mean, are you talking about people that are in that state often where they feel like a little kid? Like, Okay, well – we're, I think we're talking about two different things. Um, let me go back to your example, okay? You're in a very stressful situation. And I've been doing martial arts, oh, karate, wow. for 30 years. Oh, my God, years. which style? Um, Shotokan karate. Okay, I did yeah. ch- Chito Ryu. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> so I'm black belt, third dan. And, wow. Uh, yeah. And so... Which island is that from? That oh. particular style, <laughs> which well, it's a uh, uh, yeah, because okay. Chido Ryu, the style that I did yeah, for years is from uh, Okinawa. Okinawa, me too. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I didn't know that. So, um, and the, the grandmaster was Funakushi, Master Funakushi, and so, anyways, what I'm saying is that when you're learning martial arts. The first thing really you're learning is to deal with the stress. So you cannot imagine a more stressful situation that somebody in front of you, your opponent, wanting to jump on you and punch you, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, at first you just disappear in your mind. You black out. Mm -hmm. You freeze. You cannot breathe properly. You feel your face getting hot and red. You cannot think straight. You don't remember half of what's going on after a while. And um, you, don't, you don't take advantage of the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're in freeze. You're, yeah. Yeah. And you feel your legs being very soft. Yeah. And you lose all your power. Mm-hmm. You just want to go away, disappear, leave your body, be somewhere else, right? 
And the training of martial arts shows you how to be present, keep breathing, and keep seeing what's going on to be able to face it. And that's quite a challenge. That's huge to stay present in such a big, in front of such a big fear. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's a lifelong teaching and practice. But I use it all the time, driving uh, in Montreal during wintertime. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you're just driving, your kid is in the car, and then, woo, your car starts sliding on black ice. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly the moment where you need to be totally focused, present, seeing everything as if it was in slow motion. Mm-hmm. So that you react in the best way possible. Now, our brain and body is not well, you know, made because this is the opposite situation. This is exactly the the opposite that we're in reality um, facing. We're losing it. Mm -hmm. We stop seeing. We stop thinking. So this is a famous fight or flight. Well, actually, they, you know, I, I, I teach on this and like we always talk about like fight or flight, but actually the three default states are fight, flight or freeze. Mm-hmm. Right. And but the problem is, is like in a for a lot of the history of life on Earth, there were and this is still the truth. Like, like you take like a bullfrog, right? Like if a bullfrog, if you have like a fly, if a bullfrog is starving to death and you have a fly sitting in front of it. They can't see it. Their brain doesn't register it until it moves. Okay. Right? They can only see things that are moving. So it's like if you're um, like camouflage, right? Like if something's camouflage, you will not see it until it like moves. Like partridge. Right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? And so for most of the history of life on Earth, freeze was a very, very good strategy. Mm-hmm. If you could freeze, most of the predators would not be able to see you. They just would not pick you up on their visual field at all, right? But now in, well, definitely in the human environment, it's not a good thing. I mean, we see like the classic deer in the headlights, Mm -hmm. right? Deer gets suddenly big, like truck comes around the corner and the deer is standing in the middle and people don't understand why is the deer just staying there? Mm -hmm. It's because for most of the history of life on earth, just freezing when something really scary was there would actually be a successful strategy a lot of the time, right? But when you're dealing with um, a, a truck coming towards you and you're standing in the middle of the street, it's not an effective nope. strategy. <laughs> if you are in a, a dangerous situation with another human being and they're being aggressive and they want to they wanna hurt you or they want to, like, freezing is not a good option mm-hmm. in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think you're... I, I did not know this. This adds so many layers of awesome. I did not realize that you were like a black belt, you know, like mm-hmm. in many dance in karate. But the the layers of amazingness on that are just amazing. Um, because, I mean, you, you, you surely know this, but like the karate, what it means in Japanese, right? Yeah, bare hands. Yeah. It means empty hands, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So karate was something that was created and the same thing goes for almost all of the martial arts in in the far east and southeast asia these were things that were created by peasants and mm-hmm. farmers yep. to be able to deal with the drunk 
armed thugs, right? Because for a long time, and this is, it was true in Japan, this is true in, in Thailand, all the, all those areas, you had people who had access to training and how to use. It was like a Game of Thrones kind of world, right? And so you had people who had like samurai swords. Yeah, they were allowed had, to wear weapons. They had armor yeah. and they mm-hmm. had weaponry, mm-hmm. and they had often horses too and things like that. And they would just, it's like a bunch of, imagine if we had no Canadian state, no American state, no no police, anything, and like the Hells Angels were running everything. Yeah. And so these drunken bikers, like with weapons, can just go around at will, raping and pillaging, Mm -hmm. doing whatever they want, Mm -hmm. like whatever they want. And... Uh, they would, on a fairly regular basis, if they just, like, came into your town, they would, like, you know, steal all your stuff, uh, like, rape your daughter in front of you. I mean, just, like, absolutely horrible, horrible stuff. I read a book about it uh, two years ago. I'm trying Take to remember women. the name. It was, like, all yeah. of, like, the. It was, a, it was a book specifically about Japan. And it, it, just, it described, it basically talked about samurai culture. And how this was basically, like, we have romanticized it so much since Mm -hmm. the 20th century. But they said, actually, the samurai were, uh, and they said the same thing happened in Europe with the Knights of the Round Table and this romanticization of the the knight, right, or the samurai. He goes, actually, the knights were mostly just armed thugs. Mm -hmm. They were horrible, horrible, drunk armed thugs who used violence to just sort of get whatever they wanted, and they were they were terrible. And they said the samurai were even worse, like way way worse. And so these the martial arts and karate specifically, but all of them actually, they were um, kind of like a grassroots resistance. Mm-hmm. And it was like, how do you resist somebody who has weapons if you have got the, you have an empty hand? How do you resist somebody if all you have is your body and maybe like some sticks and very simple things? You don't have armor. You don't have anything like that. And so it's about and, – and Taekwondo is also – it's a, a martial art that was – Taekwondo is specifically how do you resist um, somebody, an invading like drunk armed person when you're in a rice paddy? And so you're you're also in water. That's why it's a lot of kicks and mm. things like that. It's really freaky. But uh, and also kung fu also has like similar origins. Yeah, and these they were use, all like, tools. Like, yeah, agriculture these were, tools. Exactly. Whatever yep. Exactly. It's like you don't them. have you don't have the money or the time to develop these skills and to have these weapons. And these mm-hmm. weapons were incredibly expensive. It's mm-hmm. not like you know everybody could have an AR-15 like in the United States and these you know, huge guns. So it is it is like really about like you need to take control of your consciousness and your breathing. You need to be present. And the person who is like going against you, they have like probably much more muscle, much more weaponry, but you're going to beat them because you are more present and more conscious, conscious mm-hmm. and they're going to make mistakes and you're going to see them and you're going to take the openings. Right. Yeah, and so. it's it's a philosophy of integrity, of defending, owning your personal environment. Yeah. And for a woman, I think it's extremely important. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, somebody tries to grab me. <laughs> Who has superior I, size. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, martial arts has been developed by, you know, Asian people or small, smaller like me. And uh, it's not a question of big muscles. Yeah. And I always think about the, uh, the example of um, a bullet. If I take the bullet out of a gun, I take it my fing- in my fingers, in my hand, and I throw it on you. You're going to say, like, ouch. <laughs> you know, don't do that. Why did I do this interview? <laughs> <laughs> but it will not kill you. But the same bullet mm-hmm. w- that has a lot of velocity kills you, goes through your skin. Mm-hmm. So the punch... It's not a question of the size of the fist. It's where you hit and how you hit and the speed, the technique, the coordination. And this as a woman, and now I can learn it and be extremely effective. So all this, you know, to relate to hypnosis, it's a matter of not seeing yourself as, oh, I'm a woman. Oh, I'm shorter. I don't have, you know, any man can beat me or be stronger. No, no. You work with what you have and you own what you have so that you make sure you make the best to the full potential of who you are physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. So physically, you make sure you control your environment And you're present when you need to be present. Mm -hmm. And mentally, well, I like to think about hypnosis like the mental martial arts. Sometimes we're not present. We are not at our full potential and we don't understand why. Why we lose our mean when we're in front of, I don't know, a big man with red hair. (laughs) <laughs> or um, if it's that guy from Game of Thrones, I'm totally afraid. The wildling, the wildling guy. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. You know that triggers yeah. you, and you don't know why, or you cannot speak in public, or you're extremely afraid of cars or um, going out in a crowd. So you don't own your environment. You don't. You are not at your full potential. You're. You're all of, you know, closets with things that you don't know what's behind the doors. Who wants that? Mm. So let's open the doors and see how the subconscious mind interacts with the conscious mind to um, alter the perception of the world. And this is exactly what hypnosis allows us. So I said it's a natural state an altered state of our mind. And so everybody can access this subconscious mind. It's part of us. And we don't have access all the time because the conscious mind's job is, um, I like to think about it like in terms of computer. So the conscious mind is some kind of interface. It's a filter. If we have access to all the data since the day we're born, it's too much. 
we have to segregate. We have to filter what's important and what is not. In a crowd, when you go out at night, you want to focus on the person who sits in front of you and have a conversation with you. You cannot listen to 10 conversations at the same time. You'll get crazy. Mm -hmm. You will not be able to function and understand. The world is the same thing. We have to narrow our focus. So this is the job of the conscious mind. Now, all the information is in the subconscious mind. And the conscious mind decides what we need to access when. And some memories are there. They are interactive, but we don't even know that they are interactive with, un with our world. And the altered state, which is called hypnosis, allows us to put the conscious mind uh, asleep, kind of, okay, relax, let me access that part of the brain safely and see uh, which part of reality interacts with my daily life. So it, it is really, really fascinating. Yeah. And um, I like to give an example. Um, I used to date a guy. I will not t tell his name. But, <laughs> no, um, we, we would have to delete that. <laughs> he was very interested. <laughs> Justin and Trudeau. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah, right. Joking, yeah. Um, he was very interested in hypnosis, but he was also afraid, you know, like you're going to control me or uh, I don't want to reveal big secrets and stuff like that. So like many people, it's fascinating, but mm, scary. So he kept saying like, yeah, one day I would like to try it, but it was never the right day. And uh, one time I was away from the house doing, uh, you know, groceries and stuff and I called him. He was at home. And I said, would you pick up some stuff? Um, I'm coming back and we'll prepare supper together. So I'll be there in like, uh, you know, a few hours. He said, no problem. I'll do that. I called back on my way home a few hours later. And he's so upset. So upset. And he's saying, like, I'm stressed out. I'm getting crazy. I turned the house upside down, looked everywhere. I cannot find my car keys. I cannot go to the grocery store. I'm sorry. And the car was parked in front of the house, so we knew that the keys were there. So he placed the key somewhere. The memory is in the brain, but somehow he doesn't have access to the memory. It's placed somewhere and he cannot remember where. So anyways, I told him, okay, you know, just relax, take a nap, chill. I'm going back home. I'll help you find the keys. So when I arrive at home, he's in bed and he's more relaxed. And um, I lay beside him and I say, you always wanted to know what hypnosis is all about. Let's try it now. And he was already in a good state of mind and relaxed and all that. So I put him in a state of hypnosis. And because it's so natural and light, most people think that you're not, uh, we're not into hypnosis, but they are in trance. I can see that. So he had all the signs. He was in trance, deep trance. 
And I brought him to different rooms, and I made him feel the satisfaction of finding the keys, holding the keys in the hand, and taking the car and going to the grocery store. So uh, when he comes out of hypnosis, the first thing he tells me is, no, it didn't work. I was not in the trance. <laughs> so... That's always like when Albert hypnotizes the students. They'll be, you know, hypnotized for half an hour, 45 minutes, yeah. and they're doing all these things. And then they always come out and they're like, no. see, I told you you wouldn't be able to hypnotize yeah, exactly. me. And the entire class is like laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, don't you realize? You they're like, what are you talking about? Like, they, their consciousness, right, is that, right? And this is not just in hypnosis. Well, okay. It's not just when a hypnotist is doing this. When people, are whipped up in the madness of a crowd. Like people who participated in horrible things during like, you know, Nazi Germany or people who got involved in like crowd madness. Uh-huh. When you talk to them about it afterwards, they're like, oh, I never really, yeah, no I way. never really believed That's in Trump or point. I never really believed in that person. And you think that they're lying. Uh-huh. They're not. They were actually, there's a, a syndrome a Vichy. I can't remember the name of the author, but there's this French historian who talks about, like, he calls the Vichy syndrome, which is, like, all these people who participated in horrible things during the occupation and the Vichy government in France, which was the collaborationist government in France. They, like, sold out their friends and did all these things. And then after the war in the 1950s, they're like, I never supported that. I was always part of the resistance. And he goes, the assumption everybody had was that, well, these people are just lying. And he goes, actually, the scarier thing is that they're not. It's that they were part of like a collective hypnosis of these political leaders. And they basically just did all of these things. And now they're kind of, I mean, they're like, oh, yeah, I never bought into that propaganda. <laughs> it's like people who say, oh, yeah, marketing doesn't affect me at all. Mm. Like advertising doesn't work on me. Really? That's why it's like a... Hundred billion dollar industry because it doesn't work. Like, really? Mm -hmm. Like, no, they pay a lot of money for it because it actually works. Yeah. But you don't think it works. It's pretty complex. Yeah. That's a very good, very, very good point. And so if I finish my story, Mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. my friend comes out of hypnosis telling me that, yep, that uh, it didn't work. I said, that's fine. That's good. How do you feel? He said, I think I've never felt that relaxed in my life. I said, well, you know, at least. <laughs> that's that's a good point. So anyways, he stand up and he was expecting like to see into when he was in trance to see where the keys were. He had those expectations. So that's why he said, no, it didn't work. I didn't see where the keys were. So anyways. He stood up. We were downstairs. He went upstairs, went into my office, and he, you know, he doesn't go there very often. And I followed him silently straight to a bowl. And in the bowl, you know, put it upside down. There was a pocket. Put the pocket upside down, shake it. And then at the bottom of that pocket, Bam, were the keys. It took like two minutes and he had the keys in his hands without thinking. And he said, oh, my God, what did I just do? 
Well, what had happened is you asked your subconscious mind, now I need that information. I need to have access to that information. And this is exactly what happened. Yeah. And I told him, well, now you know what hypnosis is all about. It works so in a gentle, gentle way, but it is so powerful. People change their behavior forever. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes months, and then I see them again. And uh, I said, how do you feel? Well, you know, nothing much. I changed job, and, uh, you know, I'm not with my girlfriend, and I'm not. And they end up, you know, turning their life around Mm -hmm. and going for what they really wanted now that they don't have this blockage anymore. Yeah. But it's almost as if they don't realize it, they don't see it. So, yeah, it's a tool that is so powerful. Why not take advantage of it? Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, um, I think it's Blink. Yeah. Um, he talks about hypnosis and how he's talking about these two different phenomenons. I think it's like um, in sports and in law enforcement and all these different things. Mm-hmm. They talk about choking. And I think, what is the other one? But basically two different phenomenons, which is basically where one of them is where you default to the conscious mind and you fail because you are being too conscious. And then there's another one where you default to the kind of fight, flight, or freeze mode. Yeah. So he talks about um, people who have like, 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 let's say police officers who have a lot of training who in a particular situation, they defaulted to this kind of automatic state. And they either, f- like, froze or, like, like a soldier, like, freezing. Even though you're, like, a Navy SEAL and you have amazing training, mm-hmm. suddenly you get really scared and you freeze and can't move and don't do anything. Or you go into, like, uh, a fight mode and you, like, shoot somebody. Like, and you're like, I don't know why I did that. Like, I was in, like, this automatic kind of, you know, furious, like, fight mode, right? Yeah. And then the opposite is he talks about, which more fits with like what you're talking about with hypnosis where he said like you'll have like golfers or tennis players and they train for thousands and thousands of hours to get really – or karate, I guess. They train for thousands of hours to get really good at something to the point where their training becomes a, a kind of second nature. Mm-hmm. It becomes automatic, right? And But then something happens in the fight or in the golf game or the tennis game where – they just become really self-conscious and they start thinking about it. And the thing is, is when a tennis ball is coming at you at like you know, 90 miles an hour, you can't think about it. You nope. have to respond automatically with your training. And so if you start overthinking it, as they say, uh, if you start using the conscious mind to respond to a punch or to like respond to a tennis ball, you're not going to be fast enough, yeah. right? Because... And you're going to be horrible. And so he, he has these stories in the book about like this famous golfer who – he was like one of the top golfers in the entire world. And for some reason in a particular game, it was like a, he was thrown off his game. He was like not in the right headspace. And he just like started overthinking every single hit. And he was screwing up like crazy. Mm-hmm. And by the time they got to the last – a whole of the game, his opponent who won, he was also 
one of the best golfers in the world. He could see exactly what was happening. And he went up to him and and the guy was crying and he gave him a hug and he's like, I'm so sorry. I know exactly what's I I know exactly I've been exactly where you are. It's horrible. Yeah. But it's it's like he was saying that for a lot of activities, like for uh, like an MMA fight or like a pro tennis game or a golf game, you have to be in a kind of hypnotic state you where you are be- just completely in the zone. You are completely yeah. relying on your training, mm-hmm. on your years and years of training. And that has become an automatic. You are not relying on the conscious mind at that moment. You're you're relying on some something. You know, we were talking about before the interview started. We were talking about, you know, what Albert says about why Trump destroys people in debate. It's because he's in that kind of totally, totally kind of loose, limber kind of uh, limbic zone where he's just he's responding on autopilot from. Uh, from some deep place, right? Well, if you want to hit a tennis ball that's coming that fast, mm-hmm. you have to be hitting from that place, which has been trained by your training, yeah. right? But if you somehow get really self-conscious or nervous or insecure, you're going to be thrown off your game and you won't be able to do that. Right? Yeah. So, Or like a punch you mentioned, and it happened to me uh, during a competition. Oh, wow. When... Um, and it was a lifelong lesson. Uh, I remember to this day. <laughs> when did this happen? Um, it was a competition a long time ago, a karate competition. And I had, I was told, like, prepare your attack and your combination of punches and kicks. And so in my mind, it was almost like a choreography. It's, and yeah, yes, exactly. you have to Kata think. Kata is choreography, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh, when you fight, you have to clear your mind. So I was in front of my opponent, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do the choreography. And I thought about that. Like, okay, two punches and then one step and then a kick and a punch and blah, blah, blah. And so you're not in the present moment. And my opponent just put her fist there, and I went into the fist with my face. I never saw the fist. Why? Because I was not there. Mm -hmm. I was in my head thinking about the motions. Yeah. So, yes, you have to practice. You have to train your body like crazy. After that, you have to unplug everything and be totally present because maybe you want to do two kicks. But if you're present, you're not alone. You're with your opponent. The opponent moves. Everything is fluid, organic. And if you're present, you'll see the opening. You'll see everything. You'll see almost everything in slow motion Mm -hmm. because you're so present dancing with the other person. Yeah. And when you're afraid of your opponent, you don't see your opponent. The the only way you have to see the opponent is to integrate him or her into your own world, into your bubble. And so when the person in front of you moves, it's as if you're moving. Mm-hmm. And this is when you're reacting perfectly. Yeah. So it's that 
presence, that perfect presence that allows you to be in control, to be in the zone. Yeah. And to be in that zone, to you know, if we want to again come back to hypnosis, what what allows you to be in that zone is to clear your mind completely. Yeah. So it's like a computer, like there's no other background processes happening. Yeah, yeah. You unplug everything. You're in the moment. 100% of the processing power is on the moment, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which a lot of people don't realize is actually possible. Mm -hmm. Like they think people are just being, like when they see a movie where they slow down a very intense scene Mm -hmm. into slow motion, they feel like that is just art. And it's just like something that couldn't possibly happen in real life. It actually can happen. I mean, it can happen in a fight. It can happen. I mean, I, I think probably the first time that I really experienced what you're talking about, the slowing down, was I, I was 25 years old. And um, my my wife and I were like, well, she wasn't my, she was my girlfriend at the time, but we were like, we were with like some friends and we were tripping on mushrooms <laughs> and we were like, we had eaten like tons of mushrooms and we decided to go for a walk in the park in Baltimore near our place, which is Wyman Park. It's a beautiful park. It was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, who's the same person who designed Mount Royal Park in mm. Montreal. He designed Central Park in New York. It's a beautiful park. So we're walking through there and we were down by this stream and I'll never forget this. Like, there was a duck that kind of sort of came out of the, the bushes and was flying. And it was flying, like, literally, like... In slow motion. In almost. slow motion. Mm. Like, I could see and hear the way it was flying. I could see it in, like, slow motion, like, moving forward. And then... All these things like started going around. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, and I I couldn't. And I asked the other people there. I'm like, "Did you also see that duck flying by in slow motion?" They're like, "Yeah, that was kind of weird." And everything was slowed down. And I realized this isn't like a hallucination. This is like, this is what my brain is actually capable of if I am completely focused on the moment. Mm-hmm. I can have a much more like rich, full color many pixeled experience of reality that is always there. But the reason why things are are much more stripped down is that most of the time, you know, 95% of my consciousness is devoted to like thinking about a bunch of other stupid shit. And mm-hmm. like, and I'm only really paying attention, giving like 5% of my consciousness to like what's happening around me. So yep. if if I actually was giving all of my consciousness to the moment. Yes. This is how vivid and crazy this shit could be. <laughs> like, and it was, uh, totally, yeah, it's totally. amazing. It's like, yeah, and I want to go back to that because it, it's so interesting. But uh, so to be in the complete presence, if we, um, if we relate it to hypnosis, hypnosis allows us to clean the subconscious mind of those little triggers. That um, all the voices in our head that um, triggers the fear, the 
the fight or flight, the, oh my God, it's going to be like the other time. Um, and it blocks the presence. So when we, through hypnosis or meditation or other kind of work, we kind of go back to what's in our subconscious mind and filters reality for us. And we deprogram that. Like, no, no, this is not a danger. This will not happen again. This was a one-time deal. It doesn't have to tint, to color the next experience. Well, you have a much more present, strong reality, perception. And when you are in hypnosis, when you are in a trance, I always notice that all your senses are enhanced. Like you said, like your experience of the dock flying in slow motion. When you're in trance, um, you feel more the touch. You hear better. You smell better. Everything is increased as if you were on the mushroom trip or mm -hmm. something yeah. because you don't have a filter anymore you're hyper hyper focused you're present mm -hmm. nothing is changing altering your reality and i'm thinking every time oh this is how it is supposed to be and our brain can give us such a, a marvelous experience of life. Why settle for less? But we don't want to be super, super present all the time, right? Like if, if I'm getting dental work done or if I'm getting like, you know, if I'm in a lot of pain, I don't want to be super in the present at that moment. But you moment. want to control it. And hypnosis allows you to control that too. Because it's well known now, you're going to the dentist and you want to feel less um, around your mouth and, uh, you know, feel more on your feet, for example, you know, focus on a different part of your body or, you know, escape your body and think and be somewhere else. Um, you can do that mm -hmm. for sure. Because yeah. it's if you can be hyper-present... You can certainly do the opposite. Oh yeah, I'm very, absent. I'm very good at it. I'm very you good. Know? No, because I actually, I, I don't, I don't know if I've this ever came up in our conversations, but I have this condition, which is that I'm, uh, which they used to think was very rare. It's called opioid. I'm opioid resistant, so my body just like basically does not form bonds with opioids, with any kind of like. So it, you cannot get high from opioids. From okay. lots of other things, I can. <laughs> yeah. But not opioids. So, like, not, uh, like, basically, you know, anything from, like, heroin to Oxycontin to, like, to opioids, my body just does not uh, metabolize it. It doesn't form bond connections with it. Okay. So, they used to think this was quite rare, but now my, my doctor was telling me they now think it is as much as 10%, maybe even 15% of the population mm. are opioid resistant. So when I would go to the dentist and they would give me these things, it would have no effect at all. I would feel all of it, right? Like if I take, uh, you know, like if I, I've had this, you know, when I 
when I got a vasectomy, I got like complications and it was horrible. But I had to go like, and they gave me like one drug and then a next one, and they kept going up. They gave me like Vicodin, the one that House is addicted to on that show. <laughs> they gave me like a Vicodin, didn't do anything. I was like, this is doing nothing. Um, and they gave me, uh, they gave me oxycodone, did nothing. Then they gave me the one that's like kept in a safe in the pharmacy. It's like, uh, have you ever seen that Matt Dillon movie from when we were like younger in the 90s, uh, Drugstore Cowboy? No. Do you remember that one? No. Nope. Uh, well, it's about these like druggies that go around and rob pharmacies. It was like a bunch of actors from the 90s. But anyway, the big kind of gold medal that they want to get when they rob pharmacies is this stuff called blue, right? Well, blue is um, is the the last one that I got, right? And it's like, it's really, really strong. It's like these tiny little blue. It's heroin addicts like want it. It's like it's supposed to be. I took these. It did absolutely nothing. And so I went to my doctor and I'm like, I took these things. It did uh, Dilaudid. That's what it's called. So I went, I said, I took this and it did absolutely nothing. And so am I just in like a lot of pain or is something wrong? And he was just like, I don't I don't believe this. This is not. He's actually yeah, he did nothing. More, yeah. He's like, actually nothing. Uh-huh. And he's like, all right. So they kick in pretty quickly. He goes, take one now. Right? And so I, I took one in front of him in his, like, clinic in Westmount. And, like, we just sat there. I mean, we've been friends for a long time. So he's my doctor's my, actually my friend. But so he was, like, watching me and, like, nothing was. And he's like, oh, my God. I think you're opioid resistant. But anyway, so it's um, – and so what I've done is basically through Albert and other people shown me, like, how to be able to deal with, like, a dentist because I, I don't have a painkiller for it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I can, like, have a couple shots of, like, Jameson, and that is a f- – has much more painkilling ability than taking, like – Oxycontin. For me, it has like no effect taking those. But things. hypnosis has worked for. Oh you? yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. can like, but it basically just it allows you to sort of just decide. I'm going to take my consciousness somewhere else for mm-hmm. the moment. Yeah. Because what's happening here is not much fun, not a good time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go over there, right? Yeah. Which is, as you say, that's what we do all the time. If you're in a bar and there's all this ambient noise. You just say, I'm going to focus on Dominique. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on your voice, right? And what do you do? You're filtering out all the other stuff, yeah. right? So you can filter out um, stuff that you don't want to focus on and, like, do something else, right? It, yeah. It's freaky. But, but what about those who say that, like, uh, we, have, we have fears for a reason, mm-hmm. because something bad happened and you want to prevent it from happening again. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I... I Last year, I read a book on Hunter S. Thompson, and he he basically hung out with all these hippies. And they're all doing drugs, and they're like, "Oh, we got to let go and trust the world and all that stuff." And all these hippies sometimes they would walk into like a party with a bunch of bikers, like Hell's Angels on speed in California, and really bad things would happen to them because they were like so trusting and like I'm just in the moment and trusting and like mm-hmm. like and really horrible things would happen to some of these people you know or if you think about like those animals in the Galapagos who had never encountered humans and so you could walk right up to them and like smash them over the head yeah. and like eat them and they don't run away because they have no 
idea that this thing could be dangerous to you, right? Of course. I mean, you're talking to a martial artist. <laughs> so, yes, you need to be able to uh, defend yourself. And you need to be able to see uh, the reality. Is it dangerous or is it not dangerous? The problem is that people with trauma, they get hypersensitive. They see danger everywhere. Hypervigilant, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, hypervigilant. So, I, I've, I've had that problem in the past, yeah. Yeah. And this becomes <clears throat> a problem. Uh, the same way as your hippies who, you know, everybody's cool and nice and, uh, yeah. Well, if you think that everybody's a threat, you don't have a life anymore. You yeah. cannot relate to a human yeah. being. You cannot put your uh, barrier down and just allow yourself to connect. Yeah. And this is terrible. Some yeah, well, if you're, if you're putting off, like, stress hormones and you're putting off, then chances are you're actually going to encourage the other person to be, like, more aggressive and weird with you. I mean, oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Some people cannot go to work. They cannot be functional. They cannot drive uh, a car because they are in the traumatic state all the time. Mm-hmm. And it triggers as soon as they get into a car, for example. And they don't really know why. Some some people have uh, had uh, an accident. And it's with hypnosis, it is so easy to do. We desensitize. So we go back to the memory and we revisit the memory. But uh, what we do is we pretend that we are... Um, in a movie theater, watching the movie of that scene that was uh, traumatic, and we see it. So we watch ourselves watching the movie. So one person removed. The movie is in black and white. It's playing from the end to the beginning. So in reverse, no sound, no colors. So... As much as you're hypersensitive to a situation, you learn to to view it many, many, many times without sensation. And, you know, we can try right now. Imagine, okay, just let's do that. Imagine, close your eyes, take mm-hmm. a deep breath in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Relax and then imagine, take your hand, your right hand out, you're holding an apple. Okay? It's red. It's not too crispy, just perfect. It looks it looks so fresh and clean. And so you bring it close to your mouth. You open your mouth. The apple is warm. It has been, you know, outdoor by the sunshine. It's just a perfect temperature. And so you just dig your teeth in the apple. Yeah, and you feel all the taste, the texture. The juice of the apple, the sweetness of it. So personally, 
I'm、mm-hmm. producing saliva, okay? Well, and I'm sure ha- it's really weird. It's <laughs> weird, okay? I'm having this、oh、God, experience, like- <laughs> okay? And the more. I was actually picturing the,、yeah. the orchard in the Eastern Townships where I was. Yeah, with the、wow. sun and the swarm and this. <laughs> the big one, too. Yeah. yeah. So the more vivid it is, you know, the, the more、uh, present you are to the experience. Now, if you do again the same experience, but the apple has no texture, no flavor, no color, no smell, no memory attached to it, there's no sound, nothing. You don't feel it when you dig your, your teeth in it. You will desensitize the experience, it will not be present. As much.、Mm-hmm. So that's what you do. You revisit this experience. And、um, my mom is really good at that.、Mm-hmm. My mom is so good at that. She's always been like, if my mom talks about a bad thing that has happened to her, like in the past, like, you know, I don't know, some bad experience, my father's horrible. Anyway, like, if she had, like, she's talking about like, a bad experience she had when she was younger, dealing with, like, you know, whatever, she talks about it and It's exactly like you say. Like, the way she talks about it is completely in black and white.、Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't, she has no amnesia. She remembers everything that happened. It's not like she's like a crazy hippie, like, oh, everything is wonderful. And I don't remember. She can tell you in detail all the bad things that happened, you know, at different points in her life and bad relationships and bad stuff that happened. But the way she talks about it, there's no emotion. There's、it's、no、like、emotion. An empty shell. It's just, it's almost like she's telling you about something she read in the news like, this is earlier on today. Excellent.、But、this yet, is what we yet want. But the opposite. Well, she meditates all the time and she's like a very,、yeah. very spiritually advanced person. Okay. But, like, but when she's talking about a good memory,、mm-hmm. um, from, it can be a good memory from like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and it's in full color. Like,、yeah. like IMAX. Like, it's so vivid. She can smell the apple. She can feel the, the hot of the fruit. She can, like, feel it. She gets excited. She's like a, like a little kid. She's so excited. So, her good memories, she remembers in vivid, full color, surround fucking sound, IMAX,、mm. everything. But her bad memories, it's just black and white.、Yeah. It's like reading an article in, like, Like in the morning, it's like, oh, a horrible earthquake happened in there and people die. Like, she's, she knows all the details. She's、yeah. not like, you know, retarded, like the kind of like hippies that、uh, Hunter S. Thompson's talking about in his book, right? They would walk into a very dangerous situation. But it has no power over it her. It has no、it's、power. It's not a trigger. Yeah. You know? And it allows her to be present and to keep on going because. Hypnosis doesn't erase the memory. It just allows the memory to be in black and white and be what it is. It is just a memory. It's something that happened, but why do we want it to、um, be you know, affecting negatively our life over and over again? Once is enough when it's a bad memory, when it's a bad experience. So let's make sure that we don't repeat it. We don't play again the disc every day of our life.、Mm-hmm. 
So, and it's, it's a big handicap. So to learn to be able to just put it in black and white like your mom is a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I, I, you know, I don't think she's ever, not that I know of, I mean, she, I don't think she's ever done hypnosis, but she does, she does do meditation. Meditation. She, is, but she's yeah. been like that since I was a little kid. And I, I mm-hmm. guess I always, I always assumed that it was just, um, just the way she was, that she just like, as Jonathan Haidt would say, you know, the author of the happiness hypothesis, he's just like, some people win the cortical lottery. They just... They naturally have, as he puts it, like they have a brain that's sort of set to 21 degrees Celsius all the time. Mm -hmm. And so if it gets cold, they put on the heat. If it gets hot, they put on the air conditioning. They always stay like at a really comfortable, like emotional state, right? Mm -hmm. And he says other people, they are naturally kind of depressive. They're naturally at 14 degrees all the time. And so they're always kind of chilly and, like, not having a great time, mm-hmm. And uh, regardless of what the circumstances are. And there's some people that are super anxious. They're, like, at 28 and sweating all the time, very anxious. <laughs> and so some people, he says, have, like, won the cortical lottery. And my mother, I always thought that she was just one of those, that it wasn't uh, a practice that you could somehow, like, that you could somehow hone, right? But... I'm I'm sort of interested. This is kind of a an aside. I'm sort of interested in like how this evolved, right? Like because it makes sense to me that if if we were living in you know in our ancestral past, if we came into a new environment and there was like a like a poisonous snake or like a scorpion or a spider that like bit us, right? And it's very traumatic and you're sick for like four days and you have a fever and you almost die, but then you survive. Um, Anytime you see anything like that in the future, you're going to have a a trigger, you're going to respond and you're going to actually pass that trauma on to everybody and say, if you see a snake that is like red, yellow and black, you get so far away from that thing. Like if, in fact, if you see anything that looks like that, maybe it's just a vine, jump back. Like, and you can see how that would have been the humans that had that capacity for uh, remembering trauma and passing it on to everybody you know, they would have survived more than the people that didn't, right? Mm-hmm. So, but at some point in the modern world, this strategy seems to have become not adaptive. Yeah. If, I mean, like, and so... What I find really fascinating about hypnosis is like it's it's sort of recognizing that you have these mechanisms in your brain, which probably for 190,000 years of our evolutionary past was awesome. Mm-hmm. But now it's not. It doesn't contribute it's, to it's, the quality. No, of now our it's life. like actually it's actually like a handicap, yeah, which is making you like less adaptive. Mm-hmm. That's actually really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Me. Plus hypnosis, like I said, not only does it put the 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 the, the, the memory that are negative into black and white, but you you can give yourself strategy to go back to a very relaxed state. So um, I've had a client that was in the army, and um, during the trance. He, he came into a very stressful situation because he came into 
um, the memory of him in the trench. And uh, so I thought, okay, you know, let's use that right now. And so you give tool when it happens. Okay, when it happens, you breathe deeply. And then you go back to, and you construct a memory based on reality. Let's say um, you're a gardener and you love to be among your garden of roses. And this is when you feel at peace and control. Um, you feel confident, uh, safe. Well, you implant that memory. So whenever you feel like you're losing it, it's too much for you. Then go back to that, that garden of roses and feel again. You can anchor this feeling of power and trust and calmness. And it happens, bam, automatically. And this client called me back and um, he went into a parade and he heard um, the sound of cannons uh, during the parade. And it just uh, threw him into a state of trauma. But then he went back to this fond memory that was uh, put um, in the part of his brain as a resource. And he said, right away, I became centered and relaxed. I could dig, you know, my feet into the ground and smell the roses and feel calm again. And the more you do that, the more it becomes like, okay, I've got it. I'm not losing control anymore. I've got the tool to just have a life and be centered and uh, really have a grasp on that situation. Yeah. And after a while, it doesn't trigger the same way. So amazing. It's, I went to, when I was in undergrad at Concordia, I remember I, there was this guy that I became friends with who um, he had uh, recently come back. He was a Canadian peacekeeper and he went, you know, when Yugoslavia like broke up and he was a Canadian peacekeeper in Bosnia and he just saw all sorts of horrible things. And mm-hmm. at one point, his uh, his group they got um, they got ambushed and they got captured by these like uh, these Bosnians. And they were tortured, and they like cut off part of his finger. He had like a missing like. And they did, they did all this stuff where they just kind of terrorized them. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they would do is they kept them in in these rooms and they were like like tied up. And they would play this kind of like dance music, like really loud all the time. So they couldn't sleep and they couldn't do all, like, anything, anything. And so he eventually, they were like released. And, but he had all these like weird triggers. Mm-hmm. And so like, I remember once we were like in Reggie's, the, the pub at Concordia. And like, we're just like all hanging out and we're all like kind of history students and everything. And I can't even remember what song came on, but like some song came on. And he just suddenly freaked out. He got like, he got frozen. He got very, very anxious Mm -hmm. and weird. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I didn't totally pick up on like what was going on. Like my friend David actually picked up on really clearly what was going on. But like I didn't, I was kind of oblivious. I kind of always am. But, and he like, 
he slammed down his drink and like he just like ran out and like uh yeah anyway like a couple things like that happened over the space of like i don't know six month period and then he finally went and he saw like a, a hypnotist or a hypnotherapist i mean i just heard about this like later on from him mm-hmm. but and what they did was like um, God, it's been a really long time, but it was something like it would take him back to like good memories, and then would like splice in some of those songs that they played on repeat when he was in Bosnia, and they would like play those songs and mix them with good memories mm-hmm. to basically take the sting mm-hmm. out of the scorpion, like to take the sting yeah. out of like those triggers mm-hmm. to the point where it just didn't work anymore, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really fascinating because it I, worked, right? It worked. He's yeah. like totally, he's totally fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I haven't seen him in like a long time, but like, I mean, yeah, last time he completely got over it. But the process that he described, what I found really interesting is that it's, I mean, you probably know this a thousand times better than me, but like it sounded very similar to something that I did when I was a kid. Uh, I had when I was a kid. I had this like I was really arachnophobic. I was like afraid of spiders, mm-hmm. like a lot. Like they really freaked me out. But I really liked to go in the woods and look for like snakes and salamanders and explore around the woods mm-hmm. and everything. And there were spiders there. And so being afraid of spiders was really getting in the way of something that I wanted to do. And so I decided I was going to like try and get over my fear of spiders. I was quite young at the time. So I went to the the library at uh, my school at the time, and I looked up, like, phobias. And they said if you wanted to get rid of phobias, you had to desensitize yourself. And they talked about, like, how you desensitize yourself. They, and so I first I got, like, a book. You know, like one of those kids' books, like, you know, The World of Spiders, where it's, mm-hmm. like, all, like, kind of mostly pictures and, like, text and stuff. So I got, like, a book from the library. And it, and I would kind of like in little bits be like, I would look at it kind of like one page and I'm like, oh, like really free. Mm-hmm. So I gradually desensitized myself to like looking at all the pictures in the book. And then when that got to a, an acceptable level, then I started watching like a nature show that had like a bit on like spiders and forcing myself to like watch. Now this is like live, right? It's moving in a color and it's real. Like, and I would get desensitized to watching video of it, right? And then, like, that gradually became okay. And then gradually, I would there would be a spider in a web, like, on a window in outside my apartment building. And I would, like, look at it and, like, force myself to, like, and be, like, more okay with it. And it took about, like, maybe, like, a year, year and a half. But I got to the point where I bought a tarantula from the pet store and I had a pet tarantula that would oh, walk wow. on my arms and stuff like that. I'm not afraid of them anymore at all. Mm-hmm. But the process that he described that this hypnotherapist did was really, really similar to how you get rid of the standard way that you get rid of a phobia. Mm-hmm. It's through gradual desensitization. Yeah, changing right? like the associations. And yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very, very similar. Mm-hmm. But when I... When I brought up this comparison, uh, he didn't like it. <laughs> he got like uh-huh. he got. He, I don't know for whatever. It seemed like an obvious like an, like analog to me, but uh, he was like, "No, that's totally different. Mm-hmm. That spider is an irrational fear. 
like the fear that I have is like something that actually happened that was dangerous. If you got bit by a spider and you almost died, like then your fear of spiders would be maybe inconvenient for you, but it would be like smart and reasonable. He's like, yours was just totally irrational. Mine was like based on an actual horrible experience. And but you can still um you can still reprogram your brain, you know, to to yeah. change a fear into a positive experience or curiosity. You wanted to you see the spider and oh, is it that type of spider and you know what type of web does it does it create? So you have a different reaction in your brain. And and we can do that. It's in our power to do that. So it, it, there are so many possibilities that we don't know about. Um, take, for example, kids that have trouble uh, focusing. And um, so, so their mind kind of wanders here and there. And, they don't know uh, how to filter very well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. All the ambient noise in the environment is like... Yeah, exactly. They get disturbed very easily. Well, you you can change that. The the trigger that brings them somewhere else can be changed to bring them even more focused. And I do that all the time in hypnosis. When I put somebody into trance, very often we hear noises around like the dog is barking or uh, the phone of somebody is ringing. Um, You know, there's an airplane, uh, noisy cars, and you cannot change that. And so what you can do is, you know, all the noises that you hear beside my voice contribute to bring you even more into focusing on my voice bringing you more deeply into a relaxed state of mind. And it works. (laughs) (laughs) So the kid that gets very stressed by an exam, you can say as soon as you grab your pencil and that you turn it three times between your fingers, you start to feel more relaxed, confident, you know, Mm -hmm. excited about getting the best mark in the class or whatever. So you really can reprogram your brain in a positive way. Hypnosis is not about controlling people and making people do silly silly things. No, it's all about improving the experience of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And helping others. It can be silly. Like, um, I have a daughter and uh, a few of their friends, and they, you know, they How ask. How old is me. she? She's 16. Oh, wow. My oldest is 16. As yeah. Well. And she came to me and uh, she said, Well, do you think you can hypnotize me so that I'm not afraid of talking to guys anymore? <laughs> I thought it You're was like, No so way. I'm not doing this. <laughs> But, you know, in practice, yes, you can, you know, because yeah. imagine that doing all always in a gentle, positive way. As soon as you're confronted um, with a situation that 
puts you into stress and you lose your mean, um, you know, you start breathing more slowly and you feel more calm mm -hmm. and suddenly you feel more confident and you feel more smart and, and it makes you smile. You know, yeah. and the more you're thinking, oh, does he think that I'm not good enough? The more it gives you the confidence and the drive to just relax and go for it. Yeah. I remember I ran, my wife and I ran a day camp for kids for mm -hmm. a number of years called Wildside Day Camp. And we'd go out in the woods and have all adventures and things like that. But I remember like, I remember the, this a couple of times, but this one time it was really fascinating because my, my younger son, Indy, they were both very good climbers, but Indy was like a cat. Mm. Like he would just, when he was quite young, would could climb up a tree like a monkey, like so far up that the top is going wah, 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 Ew. like this. And people are like, oh my God, there's a four-year-old, you know, a five-year-old is like, <laughs> like really, like very, very, and he could go fast and go way up like a monkey, like so so fast he was an amazing amazing client he still is very very he has an amazing like the the balance of a dancer like just like a really amazing really really good balance and so we would be like going around like in the woods let's say and we're crossing on a bridge over like a a stream and he would just hop up onto the railing and walk along the railing, like a little railing like this on his, like do 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 like not even, there's like a far drop on the other side if he Whoa. trips, right? And um, and he would do this all the time. And this one kid who was just absolutely in awe of him, he's actually like, this This kid is my nephew. It's one of my, one of my sisters, her, her son. And he said, how does Indy do this? How is he able to, I would be so afraid of falling. How is he able to like do all of those things? And, uh, and he asked me this a couple of times. And then um, I said, well, I'm pretty sure I know, but why don't you ask him? And, uh, and so he, ha he asked, and uh, this is, Andy was older at this point. Andy was like probably 10 at this point, oh, 10 or 11. And Andy's response without any hesitation was, I'm not afraid of falling. I've fallen before. It's not so bad. If you relax, and you're careful. It's mm -hmm. not so bad. I think a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. We have this idea, you know, that from like stupid positive thinking ideas from the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. We have this idea that positive thinking is all about having this insane overconfidence in your own capacities and capabilities. I think it's actually something else. Mm -hmm. I think actually like healthy confidence is that you're not afraid of making a mistake. You're not afraid of mispronouncing a word. You're not afraid of not afraid of like having like by accident a booger coming out of your nose when you're talking to the guy or like farting <laughs> or like you're not afraid of messing up. You mm -hmm. don't think that like a mistake is going to be so bad, right? And the confidence comes not from thinking you're superhuman. It's from embracing your humanity and being okay with, like, it's okay if I make a mistake. Yeah. Like, it's okay if I have lipstick on my teeth. And, like, it's not so bad. It's not going to be so bad, like, if I make a mistake. I think, you know, and, like, I, anyway, I, right after that happened, I, 
I sent Albert a message and I was like, I gotta tell you, it's such a great story. Yeah, what and, a lesson. And he was like, and he said, yeah, well, that's basically like with a lot of like the energy of improv mm-hmm. and a lot of the is that you're not afraid of making a mistake. Yeah. And if you're not afraid of making a mistake, that gives you a huge advantage over the people who are, which is like pretty much everybody. Yeah. Right? So like with your daughter, it's like, it's not that you have to sort of hypnotize yourself to think you're like the best thing ever. It's like or make you want to go to each and every guy yeah. and test yourself and your flirtatious new yeah. you. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's just to realize that Put like decide your fears yeah. and just be yourself when you want to be. Yeah. And also, I think a lot of that, I mean, I don't know if we're always conscious of it, but a lot of that is about embracing a certain kind of fatalism, right? And I think there's there's a healthy level, there's an unhealthy fatalism, which is bad. And you see that in like subjected people, peoples, and you see this in like battered wives and like people who've been very oppressed. They have a, a very unhealthy fatalism where they don't feel like they have any control over their life and they just kind of let what happened things happen to them that's not healthy but i think there's a healthy fatalism and a healthy fatalism is where you recognize that uh that there are things that are out of your control and you can't do anything about them and so probably you shouldn't stress about them very much mm-hmm. and what you should focus your attention on is on the things that you can control and look at those things and try and like prepare for those but Something weird happening, it could happen, but you, you probably can't do anything about that. Yeah. And I so think don't think about it. Being overconfident and being underconfident, can you say that? Underconfident? Or like, like overly like anxious. Yeah. Overly yeah. anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the mirror image one of the other? It's the same thing. Delusionary in it's both directions. Yeah. You know, it's allowing your fear to overplay or. You know, downplaying yourself. It's not being present to the actual reality. You know, you have your limit and you have your potential. And this is the reality you're dealing with. And you're facing that. Not more, not less. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is when you really feel in power. And I want to to say something, again, about hypnosis, because we're talking about all the potential uses of hypnosis. Well, when you are in trance, when you are into hypnosis, you are very open to suggestions. You are in a programming phase. And so you don't have this critical mind saying, oh, no, 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 that's not possible. Oh, no, you're not that. No. And because you're so open to suggestions, you're so easily reprogramming yourself. This is the time to say, like, yeah, when you feel anxious, try acting this way. Try being present. Try this, try that. So this is the powerful tool of hypnosis. It's going into this space where you can reprogram yourself. And this is why um, when we see in stage hypnosis, um, the hypnotist saying, uh, 
to a person on the stage, well, now you can do Kung Fu or you can be a bird or you can be a cat or you can sing. Or... You don't have that much filter. You're so open to suggestions that there's no voicing like, no, you're not a cat. You cannot say that. It's a little bit like improv. It's just yeah. like, okay, I'm a cat. Let's do it. Yeah. Everything is possible. You know, for a certain time, you're limitless within um, what you allow yourself to to be and to do. So you cannot force someone to do something that is detrimental, that will hurt the person or that goes against your value. So the, the, the best image that I have to explain that is imagine that you're being operated on your knee and you're, um, uh, you don't feel anything because you're anesthetized locally, but you, you can watch everything because you're not under totally, right? So you don't feel the operation, you're looking, and you're allowing the surgeon to do the operation. So it's a little bit like that in hypnosis. It's like your mind is separating in two. One part is observing and is as alert as you and I right now. And this is why people are into hypnosis and they think they are not in trance. Because part of the brain, part of the mind is very present. But you don't intervene. It's kind of a deal, like looking at the surgeon, okay, you can go with your tools, you can go with your knife, do what you need to do. But you're watching. If the surgeon suddenly takes a chainsaw, <laughs> mm -hmm. you're going to say, wait a minute, you yeah. know, you're going to stop the procedure right there and then. And this is the same with hypnosis. If the hypnotist says, well, suddenly you feel like uh, killing your husband, well, you will say like, no way. And Albert and I, because we work together quite a lot, Albert is a hypnotist also. This is Albert Nuremberg who's been on the podcast before, yes. yeah. So he, he played a, a trick on me to test that. So I was very deep into trance. And... Um, I I was like feeling perfect and very open to suggestion and very focused on his voice. And suddenly he says, I'm going to count from one to three. And on three, you will pledge allegiance to the Queen of England. <laughs> and I'm French Canadian, right? This is the thing you will not say. No, no, no. And so he says that and Right away, I opened my eyes, I burst into love, and I said, you bastard. You know? <laughs> so, and yeah. I was the first, I was surprised. It's just like, okay, this is enough. This yeah. is bonk. Right well, away, is, uh, I was Philip, totally Philip alert Zimbardo, and the psychologist who studied, like, horrible genocides and everything, he has that book... Um, Uh, the Lucifer Effect, Understanding How Good People Become Evil. And one of the arguments he makes in there, I mean, he was the head of the American Psychological Association for years. He's, he he's a very big critic 
well, I think most people are who study this now, of the co- the concept of brainwashing. And he's like, it's bullshit. It's like a bad 20th century idea. He's like, you can't brainwash somebody unless they want to receive those ideas. Like, if they are resistant the way you're resistant to pledging allegiance to the queen, <laughs> they're not, you're not going to be able to, to get them, like, white power, you know, like, you know, take tiki torches and, like, Jews will not replace them. You know, like what they were doing in Charlotte. Like, you can't get people to do that unless yeah. they already have it in them and they kind of, it's it, it accords with their values. They're just not, like, maybe saying it consciously, yeah. like, out loud all the time. It you wants can't to come out them, yeah, and they don't want to them, take responsibility. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, yeah. but that, that's a, a really, really good point. Mm. And I think also, you know, like, you got me thinking you said French Canadian, but, like, if you read, like, Samuel Champlain, like, and, and the Jesuits when they first came to, to this area, like, they described in vivid detail how they would watch what would happen with the Mohawk warriors when they would like they would have warfare and they would capture somebody. And one of the games was they would torture them to death for a couple like of days, sometimes like a week or two. And they would like cut off fingers and toes and they would cut off like and 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 take off a piece off your leg and like cook it and eat it in front of you and do all this stuff. Mm. And it was kind of like a game and you would, and he, you know, the, in these accounts, they were just amazed because these warriors, they would smile and laugh and stay totally calm. They wouldn't pass out. They wouldn't be sweating. They would like, oh, wow, that must have been very tasty. And they, they would like completely be, right? And, and you, you read accounts like this and you look at those, the video footage of the, the Vietnamese like monks like sitting there in lotus position, pouring gas over themselves and lighting in protest against the Vietnam War. And they burn to death and they're totally calm. They don't move. They don't scream. They don't do anything. And you hear accounts like from the Roman Empire where the Stoics would like, uh, you know, would kill themselves like if they were dishonored calmly without any like shouting out any pain or the samurai committing like hammer. So clearly these are ways that our mind can work. Like these are people that basically mastered took control of their reactions to things and were able to basically disconnect themselves from their reactions to things. So it can happen, right? I mean, it's it's possible. I'm just, I'm amazed that hypnosis is able to tap into this. Like, it's just freaky. I mean, I guess maybe people that are in cults or people who are taking, like, substances or they're finding a way to get into that right but but I, I just wanted to something you said made me think of there's you know, Pre- I don't know prevention magazine it's like a real kind of health magazine that for vitamins and yoga and so it's like the one of the first ones okay. right it, it was uh, founded in the 1950s by J.I. Rodale who was like a pioneer in like vitamins and herbal remedies and all that that stuff there was a, a guy that wrote for Prevention Magazine for years, like decades. And I remember he wrote a series of articles on hypnotherapy in, I think it was the 1980s, like 1970s, 1980s. And he, because that's what they would do. Like Prevention Magazine, if there was like some new like herbal remedy that's supposed to do this, like one of the writers would go and try it. And they would, like, write articles on, did this work or not? Did mm-hmm. it help? So he went and did, like, hypnotherapy for a little while. 
And he wrote these articles about it. And I'll, I'll try and find them. Like, I mean, it's been years since I read that. But I remember him saying, he goes, I went in and I was really, I thought this was bullshit. And I didn't really think it was going to be useful. He goes, uh, but I'm actually going to tell you that not only does it work very, very well, it's actually like, dangerous like you should be careful and he gave an example okay he said uh, he was a runner mm-hmm. right and he said i really overdid it uh, on one of my runs and i like was very sore and i pulled some muscles and stuff like that but i wanted to go running the next day anyway and so um i was thinking well maybe i'll take like a painkiller like ibuprofen or something like that just to like take the edge off the pain um and then go for the run anyway. But I decided I would try, like, um, the hypnosis. So he had the hypnotherapist that he was working with to make this article uh, basically hypnotize him and make him not feel the pain, right? And he said it completely worked, and he did, like, a like a 12-mile run at a pretty good clip with, like, some, some friends, and he hurt himself really badly. Mm-hmm. And so he said this... Not only does this work, this works, like, dangerously well. <laughs> and he, so he goes, yeah. you know, you hear about these, like, NFL players who are injured, but the coach says, you've got to play. It's the Super Bowl. Yeah. And so they take, like, drugs to make them not feel the pain, and then they horribly injure themselves, like, for life. So he said, like, uh, it works. And he said also it, it made me sort of think more, like, in a philosophical way about some pain is good to feel, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes some fears are some good. Fears to have. are good. Yes. You know, like those those you know hippies that I keep going back to, like going into a dangerous situation with some very sketchy guys. Um, your spidey sense should be tickling, you know, tingling in that situation, and you should not go in or leave very very soon, right? That's a healthy response to a dangerous situation. Yeah. So he was saying like. My pain was an intelligent response to actual damage, mm-hmm. and I should have listened to it. Yeah. And so um, he said, hypnosis, it's great if you're, um, if you're trying to get rid of a pain that's long gone and that doesn't mean you any harm, mm-hmm. like an allergy, right? Like if you're allergic to cat dander, that's a stupid allergy. Mm-hmm. I'm allergic to a bunch of things. It's dumb. Mm-hmm. Dust does not mean you any harm. You know, like, it's not like, you know, hantavirus or like, you know, like HIV or some horrible, like, H1N1 crazy Spanish flu. It doesn't mean me any harm. And yet my body's overreacting to it, which is causing me a great deal of discomfort. So uh, he was saying sort of if hypnosis can work on your ir- your your irrational fears, that's a great thing. But he goes, I fear that... Um, it's been a very long time since I read those articles. But he goes, I fear that if if this power is used by, like, people in a bad way to make them get over, like, good fears or good taboo boundaries. Like, he goes, one of the things he mentioned, I can't believe I can remember this so clearly. Um, he, he said, I can imagine, like, a sleazy salesperson who wants to get over their sense of shame at lying to people. Or at, like, swindling people. Because that shame and that blushing and that hesitation of, wow, you're a really sociopathic freak, like, uh, that is, like, giving them a hesitation and making them, like, seem a little nervous and is, you know, not working, right? 
He goes, I can, he goes, this is so powerful. He goes, I can imagine that you could like go into hypnotherapy and say, get rid of all of my sense of shame. Mm. Like, and it would work in the same way that I didn't feel any of the pain of my, my sort of pulled muscles and like, and I ran this run really, really well the whole time. And then I had to pay for it after. He goes, what if people of like low morals like used this to be, I want to be Donald Trump. <laughs> I want to be able to like lie without any hesitation and just like, you know, I, I don't blush and I don't hesitate. No and comment I, on Donald I can look Trump. Right, I can look right in the eyes of the person and just like lie, right? Like, okay, but what about, um, you said that our body is uh, talking to ourselves. And I always notice very often my body is smarter than my mind. My body knows when something is wrong before I notice it myself. You feel discomfort. Um, you know, you feel some kind of you know, a little something in your stomach. You're unease. It often takes place in your body. Um, you're in front of somebody that is overly aggressive or not pleasant. Just stop and look at your body, how tense and, you know, closed it is. Yeah. It is. So we can use that in hypnosis. Hmm. And we have a protocol that we learned at school is, um, okay, take that pain. Uh, give it a shape. So you say that in trance. And when you are into uh, hypnosis, talking to your subconscious mind, the most efficient way is to talk through metaphors and images. And so you say, okay, if you were to give a shape, a color to the pain you feel in your stomach, how would it be? Okay, um, give it a name. And, uh, you know, sometimes it can be like a black, dusty, gooey ball. Or I've seen so many. I've seen octopuses. I've seen, <laughs> like, weird stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's okay. It's your subconscious mind that talks. Let it talk. Don't judge anything. Just say it as it comes. Okay. Take that gooey octopus. <laughs> and that is called, like, a... Uh, G's. Okay, take G's, take it out of your body. Put it in front of you. Look look at it now. Sometimes it changes shape when it's out of your body. How do you feel now inside your body? A little better? Okay. Now, take that gooey octopus. Ask it, what message does it have to tell you? And... I mean, it sounds childish. Oh no, this sounds like typical shaman so practice. That's like you powerful. You meet and the true. monster and you say, What do you want to teach yeah, me? What do you want to tell because me? Because yeah. the feeling that we have in our body carries a message. And until the message is passed on, it, it, you know, it, it stays in your body. And so you allow that pain, that feeling to express itself. Be careful. I don't trust that situation. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Uh, 
and you repeat it to yourself. And then you see, oh, did it change? Oh, it's smaller. Now it's the face of a baby. Okay, perfect. And so you keep the conversation going until the message has been said. There's no more messages, no more information. And you feel the pain, the discomfort diminishing. And you do that until it disappears or it's really reduced. And sometimes, oh, it's not there anymore, but I feel somewhere else in my back. Okay, you do this exercise. It's quick and it's extremely powerful and you feel so much better after. So you don't uh, discard the intelligence of your body. You use the trance state to bypass your filter, your conscious mind, your critical factor, and to go to access the information. And we do that all the time with hypnosis. When we do regression, we, we use regression all the time in hypnosis to go back to a situation and clear it. Let's say you had a trauma, an abuse, something terrible happened when you were a kid. Well, this kid that has been traumatized that didn't feel safe enough or heard or um, protected is still a part of yourself that expresses it herself or himself every time you get triggered. That's a kid that talk. So you need to allow that kid to express the fear. You need to comfort that part of yourself that is still immature in a kid. And once it's done, then... It's okay. It doesn't manifest anymore. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's, it's, like, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, that's the so adult beautiful. in you yeah. took charge. Now you know that every time the, the, the kid feels unprotected, left alone, not love, unsafe, the adult part in you is there to take charge, to hug, to give comfort to take over, to secure the situation. It's amazingly efficient. That's so crazy. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I, I just, um, I just uh, like about a week ago, I, I finished reading this book about Spartacus, the, like, the, the slave, the Roman, that led the biggest slave revolt uh -huh. like, in the Roman Empire. And Spartacus's wife what he was from Thrace in Greece, and his wife was a priestess of um, follower of Dionysia, Dionysius, right? The god of like wine and chaos and like all this stuff. And the descriptions of the Dionysian rituals that they would do, it sounds just like hypnotherapy. It's like they would through dancing and drums and and wine, various things and rhythmic movements and chanting and stuff. They would get themselves into a state where they had kind of shed their their conscious self and their programming of their cultural program, and they were getting to a more base level where they were. And this had this was a very powerful experience for, especially people with like lower status within Roman society, uh, people like uh, most women, um, slaves, foreigners, people who had weird accents and stuff like that. They would go to these like 
dying. They're basically like wraiths or like mm-hmm. like fetal like, and they. This was a powerful bonding experience, especially for outsiders and people like with less power in Roman society, and the powers that be recognized this, and so they banned all of the Dionysian festivals. They kept trying to stamp them out again and again. And, you know, one of the reasons she got in trouble was they you were not allowed to, like, worship Dionysius. You were not allowed to have the festivals. Why was it banned? They saw it as a threat to the, the, the order, the social order. Because when people would get into that state, they would see other people as, like, a human being and they would relate to them in a very equal way. And they would, um, I mean, like... It's, it's. I, I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I, definitely it's true that the slave rebellion led by Spartacus, which started with 70 people and ended with like between 40 and 70,000 people and they were beating Roman armies. That probably came out of people going into a state of mind where they are eliminating their programming, so to speak, and they're realizing we don't have to live like this. I don't have to accept this kind of life. There's no reason why I should accept this horrible situation mm-hmm. that's bad for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm only doing it because I've been told that uh, I'm worth less and I'm not like, and I should accept, I should accept this kind of behavior. You know what and I'm suddenly like they're off. you. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of the reasons why Spartacus was so successful is that Every time they would, like, conquer areas, he had radical egalitarianism. They would share everything equally in the group, which seemed to everybody else, like, totally insane. Like, why are you not declaring yourself king and just taking, like, most for you, which Mm -hmm. everybody had done in the past? Mm -hmm. Even slave revolts had done that. They would have somebody be king, and they would just reproduce the social order that they were rebelling against. They were actually doing something totally different, which was, like, radically kind of egalitarian between men and women and foreigners and Italians and like all this stuff, right? So what were you thinking about? I was I, listening to you. I'm thinking, wow, it's almost as if they were in a trance during their daily life, you know, being conditioned that this is a reality. You know, there are classes and you're less deserving than a king and uh, it's normal to be oppressed and all that. And the ritual that allows you to to go into trance actually brings you closer to your true nature. And, yeah. you know, and, and getting out of the... Uh, Indoctrinement, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, right. It, I, Where indoctrination, you, yeah. indoctrination, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Like, why am I living like that? Why is society built like that? So, yeah, it's almost like the trance is the reality that yeah. we know. No, it's, it's breaking, breaking the kind of the indoctrination, right? Like exactly. It's, uh, I watched this like this movie, which was so disturbing. Don't watch it. But it was a documentary about circuses, and it was specifically focusing on elephants. And apparently what these circus people would do is if you're a traveling, uh, traveling circus – you don't have like the equipment that you would need to properly restrain a full grown elephant is really expensive and unreliable because they're so 
powerful. Mm-hmm. So what they do, this is so evil. Uh, what they would do back in the day, like uh, you know Barnum, Barnum and Bailey's like circus in the 19th century and the 18th century and up into the 20th, is when the elephant was young. First of all, they'd like shoot his mother for the ivory when he's young. But they would take like a young elephant, and when they're small, they would put a really, really like crazy, like tight shackle on their foot, and it would be so tight, and it would have a chain and a post, and it would be so tight, and when they would uh, like fight against it, it would cut into their skin and would like hurt like crazy and cause them to bleed and it would get infected. And so gradually after pushing against it again and again and again and having horrible experiences all the time, they would come to the conclusion that resistance is futile. Don't try and like fight against it. Well, then the elephant would grow and get big, 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 big. And now it's a giant elephant and apparently these circus elephants, they would restrain them with not very big shackles and chains. Like a small like shackle, metal mm-hmm. shackle with a chain, hammered with a stake that was not – if the elephants went like this, they could get out of it like so mm-hmm. easily. But they never tried. Their mind is a prison. They're like what you said. They're like yeah. a, in a trance where they believe this is just how things work. And I can't – there's no – I shouldn't even try to get out because – I just know that I've tried that many times before and it didn't work. All right. And so, but every once in a while, for one reason or another, an elephant would, uh, very often it would be like an an elderly female elephant who was getting a little bit kind of senile or a little bit like, you know, like elephant Alzheimer's or something where they like are forgetting their programming from earlier on because their cognitive function and so they would forget that programming and they would just shake the foot and get out of it like nothing yeah. and trample like two of these – like they were – you know, and rampage through a city mm-hmm. and like destroy a bunch of like village – you know, a village or something. Yeah. And it was really fascinating. They have like some YouTube videos of like elephants losing it and like ripping out of this. But it would be when something happened, they had an injury. There was one I saw. It was in Thailand. And it was like an elephant that had been very abused throughout its life. But uh, they used them for logging a lot there, like in the logging industry. And like something happened where like a, like a log like fell on this elephant's head and caused a little bit of like brain trauma. And so it forgot the, the sort of the programming. And so when, the, when they were like trying to lock it up and trying to be abusive towards it, it responded like with just – not realizing that it was futile, right? So, I mean, it, it would be interesting if hypnosis, I mean, I guess this is what you do, allows right? Allows you to get out of the matrix. Allows you to get out way. of this, like, victim mentality where, like, you think you should just take this, like, bullshit behavior yeah, from your life boss. Life is like this. Or your and father it's or your static. husband or your, like, You whatever. cannot change your life, you know? This yeah. is your cage. You're born in it. You're going to die in it. Yeah, exactly. I strongly wow. believe that uh, the practice of meditation, the practice of freeing yourself from all those thoughts, actually allows you to be, you know, to basically get out of the matrix and uh, see the world as it is. And um, I saw a movie with Keanu Reeves. I think it, it was the Kung Fu Master. And... Um, it's a cool fighting movie and martial arts. I love it. And uh, 
I think Keanu Reeves is so cool. <laughs> Even if he's playing the bad guy in that movie. But in the end, the good guy, um, he's, he's being like punched and kicked. And, uh, and his opponent tells him like, you are nothing. And you see the good guy's on the floor, in the dust, you know, he's like finished, done, dead almost. And when you hear that, you are nothing. It frees him. Because think about it. If you are nothing, you can be everything. Mm-hmm. It's like it, Arya Stark in Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am not a, you know. Yes. Yeah. It's I am nothing. It's <laughs> so liberating. You're nothing. You're, it's not stuck in you. Yeah. You're nothing. You're nothing. So you You're can like be a stem every, cell. You can be anything. Right? You, can you can write your story. And yeah. rewrite your story every day. So anyways, in a movie, he heard that. And instead of, you know, putting the last nail on the, the coffin, it just it gave him his strength back and he just jumped up and he won the fight, of course. It's Hollywood. Yeah. But I thought it was so powerful and brilliant. I never forget that part. Remember, you're nothing. Hence, mm-hmm. you can be amazing. everything. It's amazing. Well, that is, we are almost out of our studio time, so we're going to have to get <laughs> out of here. But, like, that is an incredibly optimistic place to end. That was wonderful. So um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I would really like to have you on again because like, one, I would like to actually, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I, you were just making me think about the stoned monkey thesis, which we definitely have to like talk about at a future time, which okay. is that uh, it's this thesis that, that basically we evolved out of an, a primate that somehow found like some mind-altering substances in the environment, like maybe a mushroom, something, and it allowed them to like sort of reduce their programming and their instincts and to sort of kind of be able to be more conscious about how they wanted to live. And this gave them a huge advantage over like all other primates and all other animals. Because if you're conscious and you can overcome your, I mean, you know this from martial arts, right? I mean, like when you learn how to resist a jab, right? Like, cause the jab comes at you and your your natural reflex is to go like this. Mm-hmm. But, of course, if you do that, they're going to nail you in the stomach because that's the point. Yeah. It's like yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. fake before the real one. Exactly. So you learn how to resist the jab. You learn how to resist your initial, like, impulses, yeah. right? So his argument is that, like, a monkey that became more conscious and in control of their reactions would have been a super predator would have had such a huge advantage over everything else that is on autopilot. Right. But mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah. um, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. It was and, my pleasure. Uh, and if you amazing. have questions, I yeah. have a website. Okay. Um, we will post that, but if you want to say it on the actual, yes, it's kudo hypnose. Kudo hypnose. How do you spell that? It's Q U D O. Okay. Hypnose. Um, H. Y P N O S E. 
Okay.com. Awesome. And uh, yes, by all means, if you have questions about the potential of hypnosis, anything. And you comments. can do you can do this this kind of therapy like via Skype if people want, right? Absolutely. Like, like they and don't have to be time, in Quebec. So I will hypnotize you. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> that would the be blog. amazing. Yes. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would uh, that would that would be really interesting. Well, and we will, you. like, keep it all unedited if you do that. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you course. very much, Dominic. It was my pleasure. Awesome. <laughs> thank you.